Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see all your faces. Joshua chapter 24, where we picked up from last week. I had to do that last week, Ella. No one did it. (laughs) But I didn't forget. (laughs) Uh, Praise the Lord. Well, um, before we proceed, I I said to my daughter, look, I'm going to share a little little testimony or a little story. Um, It's funny how children are different and uh, how they can be so completely different. But um, I... um, my daughter came home, Hannah, during the week, and she goes, Dad, guess what happened at school today? I said, oh, yeah, tell me. She goes, oh, we're in class, and, um, you know, the teacher said, look, I want you, they were studying the word courage, and so she, the teacher said, look, I want you to write a story about um, where you witnessed somebody that was, uh, did a courageous act, or, or even yourself, if you did something courageous. And so um, Hannah wrote her story, and then the, the English teacher says, okay, Hannah, I want you to read yours out to the class. <laughs> and she always seems to do that, Hannah tells me. But um, uh, So Hannah reads it out and she says, um, uh, my act of courage that I'm going to you know, speak about is my father. And, uh, and so how he actually um, uh, stands up on a, uh, a box in Burke Street Mall to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And so, and so the teacher goes, oh, that's great, Hannah. <laughs> and the, this classroom's looking at her going, Ugh. and so uh, I share it with Vanessa because I know my other daughter. And Vanessa goes, if that was me, I'd die. <laughs> and so I just thought how different it is that uh, our, our kids, you know. Um, but uh, I thought it was a great testimony. And um, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, at least you're thinking of me, Hannah. Praise the Lord. And amen. All right, well, let's proceed, shall we? Um, just to refresh ourselves, because I am preaching the second part of a message that um, I started last week. So we just want to kind of recap. Maybe there are some people that weren't here uh, for that as well. So we want to just uh, refresh ourselves. But we're looking at Joshua chapter 24, and we're looking at what uh, is called the covenant at Shechem. And so. Uh, I decided to do it over two parts, <coughs> excuse me, simply because uh, as I was studying it, the whole issue of Shechem uh, became, uh, to my uh, understanding, as the Lord was revealing it to me, because we're looking at the context of the covenant at Shechem, but we're also looking at it in the context of the seriousness of what it means to serve God and how it is a, uh, a very serious and solemn thing for us to make. Decisions And what was interesting is the word Shechem in Hebrew comes from a word that means um, neck or between the neck and it refers to the place of burdens. And so uh, here's this account of them engaging or renewing or entering into a covenant uh, with God. And so God is uh, at this, in Scripture, Shechem is very significant. And so here it is, it's a place where God wants them to bear the weight because that word serious, as we were looking at as well, means to be weighty. And so God wanted them to understand this is very, very serious what's taking place. And it's to be treated as such. And so that's the disposition that we wanted to uh, bring into the Christian life as well. You remember we looked at um, Judges 8. And in Judges 8, uh, we also considered the fact that... um, uh, this was at where Joshua got the people and uh, he had them actually let's just take a moment to pray hallelujah Father we just come before you right now Lord and I'm asking God that your spirit Lord would anoint this message that our attention Lord would be fixed and it would be focused God that you would establish your word in our hearts God, I pray that you would sovereignly move and minister as we consider the word of the Lord. God, I'm asking that you would speak to every heart that's gathered here this morning. Let there be a word of God and a revelation from heaven. 
God deal with us according to your tender mercies, but also the spirit in which this message is to be communicated. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So in Joshua chapter 8, uh, 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 the people are there, they're standing, and on one side there's half of the tribes that are at Mount Ebal, and the other half of the tribes that is at Mount Gerizim. And uh, there they've been instructed to, to, to pronounce the blessings of the covenant and the curses of the covenant. And so here, that was at second, in, it was at the same place in Joshua chapter 8 as we find in Joshua 24. And so it is a very serious issue. So we looked at verse 14 of Joshua chapter 24 where it begins, where Joshua begins to speak and he says to the people, that they are to serve God in sincerity and in truth. So we look at the issue of sincerity and truth. The two must be mixed together. You can't separate the two uh, because they are are, are joined. And it was uh, funny because I was speaking to uh, Brother Peter after last week's service and we talked about uh, the ark ark when Uzzah was was beside the ark and and the oxen stumbled and he put his hand. And the, the Bible says that the Lord killed him. And you read that, have you ever read that and you thought, gosh, gosh, I mean, he was just trying to do what was right. He was quite sincere about it and yet he, he paid the ultimate price because later they realised that there was a pattern, an order that had been established by God that was very serious if this ark was going to be carted. And so, um, so the sincerity wasn't enough. It had to be mixed with truth, didn't it, to be acceptable of the Lord. And when they did it according to truth, it was successful. Uh, when the Levites uh, began to carry it. But you can see this through these illustrations, the, the, uh, especially in Scripture, that, that which relates to sincerity and truth. So we want to continue to identify this morning uh, with the weightiness and the seriousness of the event that we're picking up on and the text that we're going to consider from verse 14. So let's read it again through to verse 28. <clears throat> now therefore fear the Lord... Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us uh, uh, and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among uh, all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. So the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord your God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote the words of the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and he set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now there are two aspects that we want to consider uh, as we consider this further and that is that which relates to the issue of choice and decisions that we have to make and that which relates to uh, the issue of covenant and also interrelated with a vow or taking vows before the Lord because this again, this is very serious and weighty 
as we consider it in the text. In verse 15, if you pick up the tone, see Joshua's addressing the people. He's spoken about the, uh, the, the history of their forefathers and how God brought them out of the land of Egypt to set aside and a part of people for himself. And now he turns and he's pressing the issue. The tone is very, very serious in which Joshua is addressing the, the multitudes that are gathered to him and he says to them that they are to, serve, to put away, in verse 14, put away the foreign gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river because we know that even there they fell into idolatry. And he says, serve the Lord. Now in verse 15 he says these words, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Now, think about that because what is Joshua implying here? Because um, he, he makes this statement in which he says, does it seem evil to you to serve the Lord? Is it an evil thing to be exhorted, to be instructed, to be demanded, to be commanded to serve the Lord? Because what Joshua is wanting to, uh, them to clearly understand is that there is an aspect of pure obedience and submission that is required if one is going to serve the Lord righteously and acceptably. There is to be no compromise. They're to put away the foreign gods that, were in, that had been embraced by the, some, some of their fathers on the other side of the river, he says to them. And so it is very serious that they are to set themselves with all purity and holiness and righteousness in seeking and serving the Lord. See, if you think about it, the, the, um, the demands, or are not the demands of serving God this morning quite high? They are. Uh, it's not just a matter of following the crowds, it's not just a matter of being part of the crowds, but as individuals, uh, we are required to understand what it means to serve the Lord. And so when uh, uh, Joshua says to the people, does it seem evil to you to serve the Lord? That is a question really that goes out to us all because sometimes people look at the demands of what is God requires of us to obey him and to serve him acceptably and some people say, you know what, those demands are too high. God's asking too much. Or in other words, does it seem evil to you to serve the Lord? Do you consider the demands of, of God in his word on our lives, do you consider it unjust? Do you consider it unreasonable? And as you consider and understand the seriousness of serving God, you realise, hey, wait a minute, it's going to cost me something. There's high demands here. I have to take, forsake all, take up my cross and follow him. And so I remember as a, when I was first a Christian, it was me and my very close friend at that moment of time and we were into, very quickly we, we came to understand the, the gospel and we had both responded within a week of, apart but within a month the seriousness of that decision hit home. And I remember sitting at a table with my friend clearly and he looked me in the eye and he said to me, Gary, I'm not going to go any further. And he made a choice. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not going back. And I made a choice and there was a complete separation from that point onwards. But you see, God brings us to those significant moments in life where we are forced to choose. Where we are forced to make a decision where you can't avoid it any longer. And so... Both Joshua and the Gospel, if it's presented prop properly, will demand an appropriate response. Can you say Amen? Choose this day whom you will serve. If it seems evil to, you for, to serve the Lord, if you think his demands are unreasonable, if you think he's unjust, if you have an issue with God, then you choose. You want to reject? That's fine. But you have to make a choice. You can't sit on the fence you can't stay in a neutral zone. You're either on this side or you're on that side. You can either love one master and hate the other, but you can't be in the middle. You can't. You've got to choose. Joshua says in verse 15, he says, As for me in my house, 
we will serve the Lord. He also says in verse 15, um, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You see, when we talk about the gods on the other side of the river and the gods of those nations, we're talking about that which is associated with the world in which we live. Because the call of Christ is either the world or Christ. And if you love the world and the things in the world, uh, and then the, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, then the Bible says that the, the love of the Father is not in you. And that we make ourselves an enemy of God if we love the world in such a way that we engage in its idolatrous practices and identify with all that it is to the, to the compromise of the word of God. And it cannot be accepted. You've got to choose. You can't have both. You can't have the best of both worlds. This is what Joshua is saying. And he makes a bold declaration for himself when he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. I just love the, res- the resolve that is, you find in Joshua. He is unflinching, uncompromising. He has determined in his heart, and he has, he has done that long time ago, but he's reiterating it for the sake of the people that they will understand exactly where he stands. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for you, well, you've got to make a decision. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, this brings us to one of the most debated um, uh, issues in Christian doctrine and it's the issue of the sovereignty of God and the, uh, the free will or the free volition or uh, free choice that is associated with man. Now, I'm not here to debate it, I'm not here to dissect it, but what is clear in the Bible is both aspects actually, but I'm an advocate of free choice um, and, uh, and I understand and uh, can clearly see the, the sovereignty of God that is interwoven into all of this, but nevertheless, uh, let's not undervalue the fact that we are required and demanded to choose whom we will serve. You see, like I said, there's, a, there's the, the connection of both in this. You see it in the nation of Israel itself when God says to them, I chose you, I carried you, I bore you on eagles' wings. You see God in his sovereignty and yet you see them in the midst of that, the choices that they are making and the idolatry that they are engaging in and they are denying their God time and time again and forsaking the Lord. And they're exercising their free will and their free choice to the degree in which God enables that. But you see, we see this from the onset of creation. I mean, God, when he made the garden, he put the tree in there and he said, don't touch it. Don't eat from it. I mean, it wouldn't have been so much easier if God just didn't put it there. (laughs) Wouldn't it have been so much easier if uh, uh, God did not just place that tree and, uh, uh, and then we wouldn't be in the predicament that we're in, right? But that's right, then we would never have had the ability to choose. And this is exactly what God was setting into play. Jeff, oh, he's no, sorry, um, his name's, uh, I don't know his first name, but his name's Hugel. He says, in the act of creation, crowning man with that divine prerogative, the freedom of the will, God limited himself to a degree. And uh, you see, as a result of the fall, and you see today, even today, the the, the the result of men's freedom to choose. Free will can be overridden, absolutely, and we see it in Scripture time and time again, but the reality exists. And so why did God do this? Well, the reason why God gave us choices has to do with the the very fact because of his infinite love. Not because of any other reason but his love, because when he made men, he didn't create robots. He created uh, uh, people whom he desired to have fellowship with him. To des- he desired himself to love, but in whom he desired they would too love and worship him freely. Freely. And so God, in doing that and wanting to establish that, gave us the ability to choose and in doing so to a degree has limited himself and this, we see this in the world around us people say look at the world look at the evil that is perpetuated 
look at the things that go on in, in the world around us and you think, gosh, you know, Lord, just intervene and, and God has a day and we understand the prophecies and the purposes of God but yet we see the exercise of men's free will and choice in the world around us and it's uh, so sickening and so sad, is it not? You see, there's the whole issue of choice that has to be dealt with. And in our text, Joshua is dealing with the issue of having to choose. And the whole issue of choice in Scripture is one that is weighty. It is one that is very serious and the emphasis that we find on it in the book of Joshua is very, very strong. Extremely strong, such. And so, (coughs) it's in light of this that we have to make a choice. And I pointed this out last week where uh, in... in the following verse, the, the, uh, in verse 16, the Bible says, So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And so they go on to say in verse 18, But we too, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. They're, they're making a positive affirmation. They're saying, yes, that's, that's what we want to do. They're making a choice, it would appear. But in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. And so, we're here, we find again this uh, uh, emphasis of choice. Why is Joshua feeling the need to reiterate this? Why? They actually, he's asked them a question. They've responded and said, yes, we want to serve the Lord. And then he says, no, you can't. Or, uh, because, you know what, you better understand this. Our God uh, is a jealous God. He's a holy God. And if you commit sin, he will not forgive you your, uh, those sins. In other words, you will bear consequences associated with those sins. And so, what Joshua is trying to establish is that they would understand the seriousness of the choice that they're making that they would understand that when they say, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord, that they would know what that means. And so one of the things that clearly in the modern day is people are making a decision to serve the Lord, but we can say generally speaking, and even for the most part maybe, people don't understand what they're really saying, what it really means to make that choice. Oh, because now it's a novelty. You know, yes, I believe in Jesus, 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 this, Jesus, that. And there's a, there's a sentimental aspect, there's a novelty to it. But yet so many fail to grasp the seriousness that is associated with such a decision, with such a choice. And so Joshua is emphasising this. And he's giving them in ver- those verses in verse 19 and in verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you, even after he's done you good. And so Joshua is laying a warning down for the people. And more than that, he's also bringing a level of accountability to them so that they understand that they will be accountable for the choices that they make. And if they fail to live, uh, obey the Lord, and if they fail to obey the, uh, and live according to those choices, then they will bear the consequences. They will be accountable to God for them. Now, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, this whole issue of pressing the issue of choice is so significant in Scripture because even in the New Testament, the Bible talks about um, the, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. And so the the purpose of the Spirit of God is to bring us to a point where we come under the weight and guilt of sin and we feel the burden of sin uh, and then in doing so we would choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that we may be saved. And so in the book of Acts there's an example where we find uh, Paul is speaking to um, one of the governors in Felix and the scripture says that he's reasoning with Felix about um, um, righteousness and self-control and the judgment that is to come. And so Paul is preaching the gospel and he's presenting the gospel, he's presenting Christ and the demands that are associated of repentance and what it means to serve the Lord so you don't have to face the judgment of hell and so forth. And the Bible says that uh, Festus became very afraid as he was hearing Paul. 
And then, in resp- but rather than respond to that and, and make a decision to say, yes, I'm going to surrender, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord, Felix says to Paul, listen, that's enough for now. I'm going to send you away and when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. And he deliberately avoided making that decision. He deliberately avoided that choice that was required because I have no doubt that Paul presented the gospel in such a way that it was weighty. Felix grasped the seriousness of the moment. He was afraid. When he heard about the judgment to come and no doubt about heaven and hell, I think it was, uh, uh, he was feeling under the weight of the conviction of God and yet he still resisted that because you can do that, you know. That's why the scripture tells us in, um, in, in the book of um, uh, it, um, first, Second Corinthians chapter 6. But we have... The scripture speaking to us where it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't receive the grace of God in vain. In an acceptable time I have heard you and on the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. See, in other words, this is where we see the sovereignty of God and the, the power of choice at work together. Because no one comes to God unless God draws them. So God in his sovereign grace is reaching out to Felix at this moment and he resists. And this is exactly what the scripture is saying in 2 Corinthians. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Because you know what? In an acceptable time I have heard you. You see, people think that they just can make the call when they feel like it. But it doesn't work like that. There's an acceptable time. There's an appointed time when the grace is God, the grace of God and the Spirit of God is moving upon you in order to draw you to uh, Christ and unto salvation. And the Bible says in that acceptable time, do not resist. But so many in that place, they withhold, they fail to choose what's right. They fail to choose wholeheartedly to serve the Lord for whatever reasons. Mostly because they love the world and the things in the world. They know that what's required of them. And so people push it off. But the Bible says today is the accepted day. Behold, now is the time. Because you don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. That's what it's saying. You don't know. And so don't play games with God. Don't resist this. And and look, God in his grace... Thank God for that. He does give people um, uh, various other opportunities in life. But I tell you what, don't, don't be presumptuous to think that somehow God's a genie in a bottle that when you're ready, you can just go and you're in. That's what people think. No, no, no. You choose when God tells you to choose. So there you go. I'll tie it together for you. Let's go to First Kings chapter 18. You want to, there's a, there's a, another example here about the issue of choice that I want to highlight. And <clears throat> in chapter 18, you have the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And Israel, as you know, has gone into idolatry and it's forsaken the Lord and it's, uh, it's practicing such wickedness and evil. And so here, Elijah is on uh, Mount Carmel and he's with the prophets of Baal and the, the children of Israel are gathered there. And in verse, eight, uh, verse 21 of First Kings chapter 18, the Bible says that Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. You see, God's bringing the people again to a point of decision. And yet, even as Elijah brings a rebuke and says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Because you're not going to have both. And uh, the Bible says that the people answered him not a word. They refused to make a decision. But what's more interesting is the word falter there in the Hebrew, it means this, it means, let me read it to you just directly out of the 
the, the Hebrew, it means to hop, to skip over, to hesitate, to dance, to become lame, to leap or to pass over. Now, in, in other words, they are avoiding the question. They are deliberately hopping around and they are, the, the, the Spirit of God is trying to nail them, the Spirit of God is trying to point them up, and, so to speak, and force them into a place where they won't falter, they won't skip around the issues any longer, they won't tiptoe around, jump around, but they will answer the question, who will you serve? And they answered not a word. You know, <coughs> isn't it interesting, you've ever heard politicians speak? <laughs> they, they, they know how to falter. I mean, you ask them a question, you're just looking for the yes or the no. And then they talk and you know what they've done the whole time? They've hopped around the issue. They've skipped around it and they didn't answer it and they talked for 10 minutes and didn't say nothing. And that's exactly how long will you falter? How much will you avoid the issue? You know, are you going to say, Lord, well, yeah, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, you know years ago, Lord, speak this and this and that. And just answer the question. Will you serve the Lord? Hmm. And so, this, this is what I'm saying. is this, Through Joshua and through Elijah, you get the impression and you see how God wants to bring people and in the New Testament how God corners us. And he says, what's your choice? Who are you going to serve? Enough is enough. Stop dancing around the issues. You can't serve God and Baal. You're either in or you're out. Hot or cold. Who are you going to serve? Either love one or hate the other. It's black and it's white. And so, even in, even in that, the people answered him not a word. You see, God will always bring us back to the issue of choice. What decision are you going to make? And those choices will determine destinies. For the sinner who's not saved, it's, a, it's the difference between heaven and hell. For others... Who know the Lord? It's the difference sometimes between the blessings and if you want to use the word in, uh, and, and curses in, in terms of the consequences of disobedience. Because we're all making decisions all the time from day to day, aren't we? All of us. And let's be honest, we don't always make the right choices but even in life, you know, we have these landmark moments that I'm referring to but just from day to day we're constantly having to make choices. And uh, one man said, we are free moral agents to choose and to choose again and again and continue to choose. And basically throughout the course of our Christian life we're always making decisions. And we must ensure that we are making the right ones. Now again, I'm not trying to be too severe here but I am being serious. Because there's a seriousness to this. And thank God. You say, some would say, well, look, what if I have made the wrong choices? Well, praise the Lord that God, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, we can have repentance and we can come to God and confess our sin and we can forsake our sin. The Bible says if you confess and forsake your sin, you'll find mercy. So if need be, make the decision today to get right with God and choose and make the right decision. Which brings me to the next point that I want to consider with you before we conclude here. And it has to do with, well, two aspects really, but the issue of a covenant or a vow before the Lord. Now, I want you to think with me here because if you study the Bible, you'll understand the significance of covenants, and not only covenants, but also vows where the Bible uh, speaks about the seriousness of covenants and the seriousness of vows before the Lord. And Joshua is so serious that he is in this instance that as they respond to him the second time and say, yes, we do want to serve the Lord, yes, we intend to serve the Lord, as he stressed it, he then goes even further and he talks about that they, he wants them to enter into a covenant and he wants to make uh, this a moment in their lives that they will remember forever. 
It's a, he wants to set it up as a landmark moment so that you'll remember that the choice you made on this day, at this moment, at this time, will hold you instead for the rest of your lives. And so in verse 22, Scripture says, So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord your God, or the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. You see, in verse 25 it says, So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. In other words, at this place, it was a serious moment, it was a solemn moment, and Joshua wanted the weight of this choice to be, to be borne for the rest of their lives. Because this was very significant. I, can, I, I, I remember the day of my salvation. It weighs on me even today and it will for the rest of my life, as no doubt for you that are sitting here today. And I, I, and I know there are, as in my case, there are landmark moments in your life and in my life where God has brought us to a place through various trials and tribulation and where we had to make a decision and you, you can reflect on various moments and there are landmark moments in your life. Can you have that? You have those. They're there. Because God uh, it works in this way to establish these things. And so, this is what's happening. They're at Shechem. And so, the, um, he's, uh, Joshua and God is trying to bring them into a covenant. And I was thinking about this and the weight of all of this. And I was thinking, you know, obviously in the day of salvation and things like that, but a perfect example of this would be marriage. You know, marriage, we consider it a weighty thing, don't we? It's serious. And so when, when people get married, uh, we have an event in which people come forward and, and they are engaging in a covenant with God. People say, marriage is just a piece of paper. No, it's first and foremost a covenant with God. And in being a covenant with God, there's another factor that is associated. It is also vows that are taken in that covenant, are there not? And then... There is, and then there are witnesses that are observing that covenant, and this constitutes marriage, because not only so not only did you engage in a covenant with God, you made vows to one another, that, and that you also there were witnesses there that day. God was witness, and there were people that were witness, and that is to hold us instead, because get ready, the days are coming. Amen. In marriage. <laughs> When, there, when, when there's a times of trial and things get tough and things are stretched and when the feelings and emotions aren't there sometimes and all of a sudden it's like, you know what, I've had enough and you must come back. And remember that moment. Remember that day. You made a covenant. You made vows. And there were witnesses that observed that and that is to hold you instead for the rest of your life outside of the conditions that we find in, in Scripture that relate for divorce, which is only really the issue... Well, anyway, I'm not going to go there at this point, but I don't, that's not the scope of it. But the point being is, is that marriage is serious in the sight of God. God hates divorce and we're living in a world where they treat the issue of marriage lightly, don't they? Oh, well, a couple of years, just, you know... It's over, lodge that, move on to the next one. It's, it's treated lightly. It's not esteemed. And so this is exactly captures in essence what we're talking about here at Shechem in relation to the people of God. And, to, uh, and so too in the day of our salvation, it is to hold us instead for the, the years and the longevity of time that is ahead of us. Because there's times of temptation and trial and things can happen in, in, in the process of life that we didn't bank on, we didn't foresee and sometimes our, shake, our faith can be shaken and who knows where we're at but you must always remember this. Remember the covenant. Remember the vows that you made because God is holding you accountable 
whether it's 10, 20, 30 or 40 years later, they remain constant. It's serious. So, where is Joshua in verse 26? He's at Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. See, this oak is significant in the Bible because this is where Abraham came and built an altar to the Lord. And also you'll find this is another, uh, was also uh, relevant for a future generation in Jacob because Jacob went there with his household and he gathered the household idols of those that were with him and the Bible says he buried them under the oak. And he says, we're going to serve the Lord. And now here they are uh, with Joshua at the same place under the same oak and God's calling them to forsake their idolatry, to forsake the world, to forsake the foreign gods and serve the Lord. And you know, this is a generational thing, isn't it? Because you know what, especially for those that grow up in Christian families, you know what, I I know what God did in my life. I know the covenant that I've engaged in. I know why I do what I do. And children that are born into Christian families, you know, they kind of, they go along for the ride for the most part. But you see, uh, there's going to come a time in their lives where God's going to bring them to Shechem. Where God's going to say, now it's time, under the same oak, so to speak, and this is where your parents made a decision that they were going to serve the Lord and they were going to forsake the world and they were going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly and God brings us to a place where we will choose this day whom you will serve. And this is very significant your response at these moments. Are you following me? Because the next generation is going to be brought and the next generation will be brought to this place. Now in verse 27, And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And so, God, you know, they, they, they were a witness against themselves, but the Bible says that Joshua took a large stone and he set it up and he, and he said that, that this, this stone has heard all the words. And so, why did Joshua set that up? Because he wanted that to be a reminder that as they, because in verse 28 it says that uh, Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. They all departed, they all separated. But he said, remember this. Let this stone be a reminder of this covenant. Let this stone be a reminder of the vows that you have taken before the Lord as you depart and are on your way and as you progress in your life and in the pursuit of the things and the will of the Lord for your life, whatever it is. But remember this, God has heard. God remembers. And this stone is a reminder to the children of Israel of what took place that day. And so, too, we must be reminded of our commitments and covenants and vows before the Lord because we tend to forget don't we that was the the whole danger Moses said you're going to go into the land and be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God because that's what happens we get blessed and you know we're living in Australia Uh, we get you know we're we're a blessed nation uh, compared to the rest of the world and it's very easy to forget the Lord your God forget where God where God met you where God has brought you how God has blessed you and some of the things that we enjoy today as a result of that. But God hears and God remembers and God reminds us of what we said. He reminds us of the choices that we made. He reminds us of the promises that we made. And so we are without excuse. You see, there's one other thing I just want to touch upon and that is the issue of vows. Uh, There's lots that could be said in relation to this, but one of the things that I I think is important to understand is that the scripture actually encourages us to make vows. Okay, you know, it's like that's why when people get married, we we encourage the vows. I mean, you know, this is what you need to do. So, vows in and not, we know, but we know that they're serious. But the scripture encourages us to make them because they are of benefit for us. But you see, 
we've got to also understand that they are binding upon us. And the, where the, the vows are very serious before the Lord. They're not something that you can take lightly. I mean, you make a vow before the Lord, then you are bound, you are, you are bound before God. In Psalm 76, verse 11, it says, Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. In Psalm 56, verse 12, Vows made to you are binding upon me, O Lord. This all comes from an understanding in Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 21, where it says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you if, uh, not to f- perform it. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. So in other words, God says, if you make the vow and fail to fulfil it, it's sin. But if you don't make the vow, then if there is no sin. So God's not forcing you to do this. In verse 23, it says, that which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So in other words, those choices that you made, what you said to the Lord, God is requiring it of you. You are accountable now and this is exactly what's happening at Shechem. This is exactly what Joshua is saying. Be careful because God's a holy God. He's a jealous God and he won't forgive your sins and iniquities. In other words, you will bear the consequences if you deny your God and disobey him. And so the scripture is saying here, uh, that when we talk about vows, yes, we, the, 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 the scripture is littered with them. But understand, if you're going to make it, then you must fulfil it and failure to do so will be to your own detriment, is what God is actually saying. And remember this, God didn't force you to vow. You did it voluntarily. And therefore, it is something that you are accountable for. You see, let's just bring this quickly to a conclusion. Because the call to follow Jesus is a serious one. A very serious one. The call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, again, there's so much emphasis in the New Testament that relates to the issue of choice. And I know there, there's, a, there's another side to the coin, but I'm not, that's not the scope of what we're considering here. But in John chapter 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you were not willing, not willing, you chose not to. In John chapter 6, you have the multitudes that are gathered. This is a perfect example of what happened in, is happening here in Joshua chapter 24 because you had the multitudes that Jesus fed and they were, there was the, they were all enraptured with the novelty of Christ and having received the miracle and so the multitudes are following him. But then the Bible says that Jesus gives them a hard saying and then the Bible says many of his disciples walked with him no more. And then he said to them... Do you want to depart also? And then they said no. And then they made a choice. And then Jesus says, didn't I choose you, the twelve? See, and then Jesus says, I told you, no one comes to me unless my father grants it. You see, because this is the whole interwoven aspect of the freedom of the will and the sovereignty of God. Because even those that come to God, God will judge their motives on why they are there. And he will sift them out. He'll grant them on the basis not just of their choice but the motives of their choice because you know what people make decisions but they make them for the wrong reasons why are you serving the Lord why do you do what you do and so that's what validates it's the motive behind it and so and that's what Jesus is doing in John chapter 6 he's, he's sifting through those motives and um, he's sorting out those which are true and those which are false and this is what Joshua is trying to press in the issue when they say, yes, Lord, oh, yes, Joshua, we'll serve the Lord. And he says, well, wait a minute, you sure? You better understand. And they said, yeah, we will. John chapter 7 says, he who wills to do his will. You have to will to do his will. You have to make that choice. And there's another indictment there against the children of Israel where Jesus says, how I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing you chose to reject. And so the issue of choice, is, it finds its expression in the scriptures and it bears its consequences in the scripture. 
But the point of all of this is that Christianity has to come back to these roots and these principles where we, are, we understand the seriousness of the choices that we make. Joshua and Elijah and Paul the Apostle when speaking to Felix they all understood stood this and they forced them into that place of choice. And so as a preacher this morning my responsibility is to bring people to second. Because God brought me there he'll bring, he's brought many other people there and he's going to bring you there. And you know what? Maybe today is the day. As Ella has pointed out this morning uh, um, in uh, her words and the song that we were singing at the cross Today is the day of salvation. Behold, now, the Spirit of God dealing with you, behold, now is the time to choose. Don't delay, don't take, don't reject. And so I would encourage you this morning, if God is speaking to you through these messages and if the Lord is convicting you, you feel that you need to make a choice. Um, You say, well, I've made the choices in the past, but no, not, not with the solemnness and the seriousness that I'm talking about now then I want to encourage you this morning to engage in a covenant with God. I want to encourage you this morning to take vow. And I don't, this is, I don't mean this lightly. I want, again, you consider what I'm saying because you don't want to come to this altar and say, yes, Lord, and then go out there and presumptuously disobey God because you will bring judgment upon yourself. This is very serious. But choose this day whom you will serve. Don't just dwell in church and, and play church or, or just hang around, amen. You're, you've got to be in this. And so I encourage you, maybe you haven't made that. And so that's why uh, Alice said, come to the front. Don't hide in the crowd. You know, when you get married, you don't sit down the back, do you? <laughs> you come to the front and you say yes and you put yourself forward and you engage in a public declaration. I would encourage you to do that. If the Lord is speaking to you and you want to make a choice this morning, then as we sing a song of worship, I want to encourage you, don't don't just do it outside. There has to be some witnesses to this. I understand that there's some things that are between you and God, absolutely. But I also understand the, the, the issue of a public declaration where you are engaging before the Lord and before witnesses because it's in that that we can rejoice with you. Hallelujah. That's what makes it all so special. And so, if you are not serious, I say today get serious. Let's take the time to pray. And I'll just ask the musicians to come forward as we sing a song. Hallelujah. Oh God, I pray that these words, Lord, that are gone forth this morning, God would accomplish the purpose in which you have ordained them to, Lord. And I pray, God, there may be people sitting here this morning, Lord, that have not made this choice, not in the manner of the seriousness of which it is required and demanded. Even in this, even in the, in, even Joshua had him at Shechem in, in, in chapter 8, but Lord, this is the moment now. And so there may have been some various decisions along the way, but it still hasn't been clear cut yet, Lord. There is real no serious landmark. There is no moment in time where they can say, yes, this is the day and today is the day of salvation and I pray Lord if that be the case that you would draw sinners unto yourself God that you would speak to us as your people and minister and as we sing God deal with us according to your mercies in Jesus name I pray Amen we're going to sing this room at the cross for you Hallelujah and you come this morning you want prayer God's dealing with you. Come and we we can pray with you, lead you, minister to you, but let it be a solemn and landmark moment in your life. Choose this day whom you will serve.